Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you guys here in person and for those of you guys online, we want to welcome you. For those on Zoom and for those of you on YouTube Live, I know you guys come in a little bit later. And if there's anybody visiting, I know it's a little different here, but I know it's been really neat to see people joining us on YouTube Live that we haven't seen subscribing that we don't know. So we want to welcome you um, today, and we're glad that you guys can join us. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the vision for the church, which is uh, transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And we went through that. We talked about what transformation means. And I also talked about how part of that vision that God dropped on my heart about three and a half years ago was unity. And it's unity not only in our English congregation, it's in our Nichigo congregation, it's in our church as a whole that we want to be united in God. We want to be more Christ-like. And we talked about how part of that, getting to that unity, is maturing in our faith. And sometimes it's difficult to take that true look at ourselves and to say, you know, am I maturing in my faith? You know, have I been attending church for the last 20, 30 years, but yet my knowledge and understanding and how I express God's love is the same as it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or when I started attending church? Or are you at a new place, at a new level? Because quite frankly, there's levels to this. Scripture talks about those that are strong and those that are weak and it's not an insult it's the truth it's an evaluation of where our faith is on the journey are we maturing are we staying the same where are we at and i mentioned that we want to accomplish whatever we can as part of that vision of transformation of the bay area and beyond through understanding and expressing christ's love we have to first understand it what is christ's love all the nuance of it what does Scripture tell us? And Scripture tells us that God's love, Christ's love, is that of a parent. That sometimes it's a warm embrace and sometimes it's a stiff rebuke. Just like our parents did with us. Sometimes they encouraged us, they hugged us, but sometimes you got grounded. Maybe you got spanked. Things like that would happen. And that's Christ's love. We have to understand that. So we want to mature in our understanding and expression of Christ's love. And there's three L's. They're kind of our, um, I guess, the, the way we live. There are key principles here uh, that we express that or that we can grow in that. And it is, one, learning about Christ, which we talked about last week. And we talked about, especially that in-depth study, that it's not just reading, it's not just listening God's, to God's Word. It's truly studying it to understand it, to deeply think about it. And then we want to live for Christ, and that's what we're focused on today. We want to be living for Christ, and then next week we'll talk about leading others to Christ, so that's really geared around evangelism. So again, we want to transform the Bay Area and beyond, and we want to do that through expressing God's love, and we learn about God's love or Christ's love through learning about Christ, living for Christ, and then leading others to Him. And it's interesting because last week, and, and praise God for the way that this week kind of ended up uh, just happening or unfolding, that this week's sermon was already done last week. There was just too much content, too much, and God was like, you're going to be on the phone with people every day this week for hours and hours. And our board knows that's exactly how I spent this week, every day on the phone constantly with people. And that's fine. Um, but I'm so grateful to God that the sermon was already done. And so what we learned last week, is that it is incredible to learn about Christ, but we can't just stay there. It's not enough just to learn about Christ. Philippians 4, 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace 
will be with you. James 1, verses 22 through 25. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For you, if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and do not forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Amen? Lord Jesus, we pray over the word today, Lord. I pray that as we continue unpacking the vision that you have for this church, Lord, that you would guide us, guide us in our understanding and expression of your love. Help us, Lord, to be that united church that is growing in our faith, that we can be part of that transformation that you want to see, not just here at this church, not just in the Bay Area, beyond beyond everywhere, Lord Jesus. We want to remember our brothers and sisters, Lord, who are going through much in the Ukraine right now, Lord. There's so much brokenness in the world, and and thank you, God, that we aren't seeing wars here in the United States, Lord, but we are seeing wars in other places. And Lord, it's so encouraging, as I read, that there are pastors in Ukraine, Lord, that they are encouraging their people to trust in you, because the revelation will come, the renewal of people's spirits, where they are afraid, they are scared, Lord Jesus. We need to be focused on you, because it is only you. You are the one that transforms and renews. So we pray for those everywhere, Lord Jesus, who need encouragement through you. We pray for those that don't even know who you are, Lord Jesus. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my words, speak to me and through me as we take a look, Lord, at what it truly means to live for you, to truly live in a way that you are our everything, that you are in control. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So now again, we're taking a look at what it, what it means, what happens when we transition from learning about Christ to living for him. Today, Scott reminded me that we have a ton of verses, and so what I might do is I might have Lonnie actually put all the verses we're going through in the email that goes out today because there's a lot of them. But it's because it's the word of God. I want to speak the truth, and so we're going to have a lot of scripture to support what we're talking about today. Living for Christ, Romans 14, 8. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or we die, it is to, or if we, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. It is all about God. Everything about us, it's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philemon 6, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Understanding, right? So we understand it. Now we have to express it. We have to put it into action. So we have to live for Christ. So what exactly does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? If someone tells you, hey, I live for Christ, what does that mean? Have you ever heard someone say, I live for the weekend? What does that mean? I live for my family. What it means is that your greatest desire, the thing that motivates you, that's what you're living for. So when we're talking about living for Christ, we are saying that Christ is our greatest motivation. His desire, pleasing God, His plans and purposes, that is not only our priority and goal, that's our reason for living. Is God your everything? 
a powerful ask, question that we need to ask ourselves. Galatians 1.10, it puts it this way. Paul is saying, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So ask yourselves, if you are a Christian, or if you are truly a believer in Christ, are you living for God or are you living for other people? Do you care more about what God thinks or do you care more what people think? Because Paul said it right there. If I'm putting other things above God, I'm not being a servant of Christ. I'm not a believer. So let's talk about, and where we're going to really camp out a lot today is ways that living for Christ is expressed in the lives of Christians. So hopefully for many of you, this is confirmation of the way you live your life, but hopefully it's also an encouragement of maybe areas in your life that you need to work on. And the first one is being dead to sin. But what does that mean? We talk about, oh, when you're a believer, you are now dead to sin. It means that we, it doesn't mean that we are sinless. So we have to understand that, that we always have a sin nature. Unfortunately, that's just kind of who we are. But we don't have to be controlled by our sin nature. Scripture tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are not bound to sin. Romans 6, verses 11 and 12. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let your sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So let me kind of give you an illustration of that. I could be in a situation where I'm very angry with someone. I want to lash out in that anger. Well, that's sin. Now, if I was a slave to sin, if I wasn't a believer, I'm in trouble because chances are my flesh, my anger is going to take over and I'm going to do something. And I probably won't regret it. I'm going to lash out. I'm going to hurt somebody because I'm angry. But when we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're not slaves to that sin anymore. It doesn't mean that it still can't creep up. It doesn't mean that we won't do it. It means that if we are maturing in our faith, we can say, Lord Jesus, please help me. Take this temptation to want to lash out away from me. That's what it means to be dead to sin. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It just means now you have an advocate, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us that can help us to overcome that sin. We are dead to our sin. We are alive in Christ. That's what it means. And I felt compelled to explain that because as we'll see later on here, and I love our community group from last week, because one of the things we talked about is the Bible is hard to understand, and it is. That's why we need to study it, but not just study it, we need to talk about it, right? We have to have trusting resources that we can go to to help us understand it and apply it to our lives because the truth is it can be really complicated and it can be really challenging. But that's what it means to no longer be slaves to sin. That's one way that we express living for Christ as we understand that we are no longer slaves to sin. So we have to ask ourselves, when I go through a temptation, do I turn to God? Do I rely on the Holy Spirit to help me? And anger is just one. You know, I pray for those of you that are single. It doesn't matter if you're think, single in your 20s or you're single in your 50s. It doesn't matter. Sexual temptation is a real thing. 
And when you're in those moments, and again, it's funny, I hear people that are in their 60s that are like, well, that doesn't really count for me. Yes, it does. How does it only count for a 20-year-old? But it doesn't count if you're 60. It absolutely does. The Bible does not change. But can you fight those temptations? When you're in those moments, do you ask God to help you? Or men and women both, this is something both struggle with. Pornography is another issue that both men and women struggle with. When something pops up on your screen, whether you caused it to pop up there or it just happens to pop up, do you ask God to help you? Help me not fall down this slippery slope. Right? So it's not just anger. There's a lot of things. We just have to call those sins out. Otherwise, we are still enslaved. We're in bondage to our sin. Call it out. Pray about it. Because if you are a believer, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. doesn't mean you won't flounder. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with those things. But it means there's someone, an advocate, that will be there for you to help you through those situations. We also have to continue to read and study the Bible. And this is so important because I think that many people, at a certain point, they feel, oh, I don't really need to study the Bible anymore. I'm saved. Well, you're fooling yourself. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Day and night, we have to be meditating on God's Word, on Scripture. Not just when we feel like it. Day and night, it's a daily thing. And the reason why this is so important, and especially if you are even further along in your journey of faith, if you are maturing, the reason why it's so important to continue not just reading, but studying God's Word, one, it's because God's Word is living and active. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It was funny, I was talking to Emily this morning. I'm like, hey, you know, so what does this scripture mean to you? And she's like, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if I've thought about it tons. So we talked about it and she got it. But it's kind of funny. We talk about these verses in church and in Bible studies and children's church and we don't really dissect what it means. Because what does it mean that it's living and active, right? Because doesn't that sound a little illogical to you? Is it living and active? How does that work? Well, it's the word of God spoken or expressed through human authors that were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's word. So it's just think about the words of your parent. So if I'm in a situation where I'm about to make a bad choice, sometimes my parent's voice pops into my head. Well, it's the same thing with God's scripture. God's word speaks to us. Also, it changes us. Have you ever been in a situation and you were about to sin, about to do something wrong, and a scripture comes to your mind, and you, man, it's not guilt that you should be feeling. You should be challenged by the Holy Spirit. It convicts you, right? It's conviction, not guilt. Guilt, I don't believe, is of God. But being challenged, being convicted is absolutely what God does. It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's alive and active. Have you ever been in a situation where it does that? God's Word, it transforms. It transforms people and their thinking. You can look at God's Word and read it, and you can be like, wow, I need to know who this guy is. I want to change my life. I want to surrender my all to God. That's because it's living and active. They're not dead words. They can transform you. 
Again, another verse we talk about all the time, but I don't think we dissect it, so it makes it confusing to people. They're like, wait, so are they, is it audibly speaking to me? Do they, you know, I don't get it, I don't understand. It affects us. They're God's word. They're the words of our Father, God. They can remind us, they can teach us, they can equip us, encourage us. Because it is living and active. One reason we need to continue studying and reading God's word. I mentioned this earlier that the word of God, the Bible, some of it, not all of it, but some of it is hard to understand. 2 Peter 3, verses 15 through 18. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So this is talking about Paul and, and writing, right? Things that he wrote. Listen to this. Verse 16. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. See, there's people out there that want to twist Scripture. Why? Because they want you to, get to, they want you to believe what they believe. They want you to follow in their sin. And the scary part is there's some people out there that they're just clueless. They don't know it because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know how to rightly divide it. But there's people out there that will intentionally preach a jacked-up gospel because they want to justify their sin, and they want you to justify their sin with them. Amen? Sadly, there's pastors and churches that are doing that. Shame on them. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to rightly divide the Word of God. We don't want to be preaching a gospel that isn't how God intended it to be. So you, as members of this church, you have to be studying. You have to be learning. You have to be growing. Because if I'm up here preaching a heresy, I hope you guys will pick up on it and be able to point it out. Because how sad is it if I'm preaching something really messed up up here and you guys don't catch it? And then you guys start believing it and you start living it. That's happening in our world today. So we have to continue reading and learning and studying God's word. You know, understanding that the Bible is difficult to understand and that it requires appropriate application and inter interpretation. It's, this is so important because, again, people will try to manipulate God's word for their own desires. Listen to how Timothy, how, uh, how Paul is talking to Timothy about this. So, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I was just thinking about you, Harrison. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. We've talked about that, right? It's kind of neat. When you correct and rebuke someone, you need to come on the back end of that and encourage them and build them back up. With great patience, yeah, I love this too, with great patience and careful instruction. But here's why. Here's why we need to correct and rebuke, but we need to encourage. 
and why we need to be patient with people, and we have to be careful how we share the Word of God. Here's why. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul's encouraging a young pastor, Timothy, this is what you look forward to. It's not going to be easy, but you preach the word of God. You preach it right. You rebuke and challenge, but you build people up. Here's why. Because there's going to be a lot of people around your church who are going to be preaching some really messed up stuff, again, to justify their sinful actions. We need to be aware of this. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, uh, who brought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. We're already being warned this happened nearly 2,000 years ago. The people were infiltrating churches, basically promoting sin and trying to act like it's the gospel message. And in this case, they're secretly doing it. Do you think that ever happens in churches today? That people are secretly trying to justify their sin, justify their jacked up choices. And then other people start saying, maybe that's okay, maybe God doesn't care. It sounds like our world today. It sounds like our churches today. Another reason why we have to continue the study and reading of God's word is that certain aspects of scripture are spiritually discerned. You know, we talked about a little of this last week in our, in our uh, mixed group. That sometimes some of Scripture, some of the Bible, some of it's a little confusing because God intended it to be that way. He intended some Scripture to only be revealed through His Holy Spirit. There are certain things that only make sense through spiritual eyes, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This means some of God's wisdom, which is revealed through His Word, is only discerned through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit's so important, not just the way that He empowers us to do ministry, He empowers us with special gifts, discernment, those things, but also how to understand some of God's Word. Scripture also tells us that maturing in our faith is also key to understanding knowledge and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 10. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Right? Paul's saying, I wasn't up there preaching all incredible. I wasn't this incredible communicator. Listen to what he says. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul. Not these incredible words. He wasn't an incredible linguist. The Holy Spirit empowered him to speak God's words. Verse 5, So your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. 
None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So there's certain revelation in the Bible that we can only discern through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? That, if anything, should be motivation of why we want to mature in our faith. Because we want to know some of that knowledge of God that is hidden to us through our human wisdom, through our human eyes. We want to mature in our faith so we better understand it so God will reveal those things to us. Another way that living for Christ is expressed in our lives as Christians is developing a genuine relationship with God. I won't, actually, I'll read this later on, but John 3, 16, it's such a beautiful verse. We are shown, God tells us He died for us, we have salvation through Him because He loved us. I'll be reading this verse again, so that's why I'm not going to read it. Um, Psalms 86, verse 15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Doesn't that sound like a God that wants a relationship with you? Why would he be patient in his anger? Why would he send his son to die for us if he didn't want a relationship with us? God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to think of him as this thing that's just a religion. No, he wants a relationship with you. But we've, we've talked about this time and time again that just like a relationship with your loved ones, this is a two-sided situation. God is not just going to chase you down and you not expect you to do something. You have to put some effort into this relationship. Again, I reference any of you that are married, if you're dating, if you were to ignore your significant other for a week, I think there would be problems. Well, it's the same thing with God. He doesn't just sit there and say, hey, it's cool that you ignore me. It's cool that you never talk to me, right? It's a relationship. James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I don't want to focus on the sin part of that. I want to focus on the beginning. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Are you doing that? Are you seeking? Are you chasing after God? Or when tough times happen, do you look towards the world for comfort? We need to wrap our minds around God wants us to go to Him first. He wants to be our first counselor. He wants to be the first person that we go to for a hug because He wants a relationship with us. Jeremiah 33 verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Call to Him. He'll answer he wants us to be in relationship with Him. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I know many of you are dealing with anxiety and stress. We had a book study that was packed because people are dealing with so much right now. Cast your cares upon God. Tell Him what's going on in your life because He cares about you because He wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want 
blind obedience. He wants us to obey Him and His commands because we love Him. It's the same thing with parents. Whether you are a parent or you have, we all have parents. They don't want us to listen to them and obey them because they're this authoritarian figure. They want us to do it because we love them, because we respect them. John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commands. 1 John 5, verses 2 through 3. This is how we know we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. It's funny, I think there is, not think, I'll say there are, because I've talked to them. There are a lot of people I talk to. Maybe they've been Christians for a while, or maybe they're considering, and they, and they, and they think, these are too many rules and regulations. Christianity is too tough. I can't go around doing whatever I want. I can't indulge all my desires. It's too much. I don't want to get everything that gives me pleasure and have to lose it for this Jesus guy. But what I try to explain to them, if you will take that first step, if you will reach out and say, hey, I will try this out. I will sacrifice some of these things, some of my vices, those sinful things I just feel I have to do. If you will maybe give them up for a while, if you will pray and truly seek Jesus with all your heart, what's going to start to happen is his desires will be your desires. And so those things you thought were really tough to deal with, they won't be so more because you're going to start to hate those things because God hates sin. So we need to hate sin. Right? right now, yes, yeah, sin probably seems for many, for many of you very indulging and very incredible and fun and desirable. But the closer you get to God, you will start to hate those things. You will start to not want those things in your life. But we have to mature. We have to grow in our faith. This leads to another way that living for Christ is expressed in our lives. And it's becoming more Christ-like. It's becoming more like Jesus. If you look at like how Rome viewed or that word Christian, it meant little Christ. It was meant to be a slight originally. It was kind of an insult, but in the end, it's really not. We want to be little Christ. We want to be more like Jesus. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I think it's pretty clear. Must, not can, not should, must. We must live like Christ did. And if we truly love Christ, we need to obey his commands. Again, it doesn't mean perfection because we're not perfect, right? We're not perfectly holy. We're not perfectly righteous. Only Jesus is. But our goal, it should be perfection. Our goal should be to be like Christ. We'll never get there. We need to have humility. But if that's not our goal, that we want to be in complete obedience to God, then we're probably going to fall a lot shorter of that goal than if we make our target holiness, that we truly want to be like Christ. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. 
follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave, a, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. And this talks about, we talked about the fivefold ministry when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. So Christ gave himself, or Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Jesus Christ. I mean, these are tough words. It's talking about complete obedience. That's what God is calling us to. Again, doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. And praise God, he forgives us, right? How terrible would it be if us being flawed, the flawed people we are, we know we're going to disobey, we're going to screw up. How terrible would it be if every single time God hammered us? Earlier we saw that God is patient, right? His wrath, the way he looks at us, it, it just, he doesn't just hammer us. He gives us chances, one chance, two chance. I mean, he always forgives us if we repent, but one chance, two chance, three chance. But there might come that time where God's like, hey, enough's enough. I really need you to make a change and you're not listening. But see, I think if we look at God with mature eyes, we realize that's reasonable because don't we do the exact same thing? We give people first and second and third chances, maybe 20, 30 chances. But at some point, we might say, hey, you know what? That's enough. That's too much. You know, why do you keep doing this? I forgive you, but come on. You know, something's got to change. And it's no different for God. Living for Christ also means that we use our spiritual gifts and talents to serve God and others. Scott, I'm actually going to, uh, the next three verses I won't do for sake of time because we talked about that when we talked about the Holy Spirit. So this is where we go to John 3.16. So again, we want to use our gifts that the Holy Spirit gave us to help others. And we'll, I'll send out all these verses, but the verses basically say that's why we have the spiritual gifts. They're not for ourselves. They're not for selfish reasons. It is to help others. It is help the body of Christ. We also have to understand that we have an eternal reward. That's another aspect of living for Christ, that we aren't living for the now, we're living for the future. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. You know, sometimes we wonder, what is heaven going to be like? And next week, we're going to talk about the reality like heaven and hell. Because they're both real. We just don't ever want to talk about hell because no one wants to go there. But it's real. And listen to this. It's basically the complete opposite of what I'm about to hear. Read in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to first verse 4. This is an incredible expression and explanation of what eternity with Christ will be like. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen. That should be a big amen. That that's what we have to look forward to if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what we have to look forward to if we share the gospel message with anyone and everyone around us. It's being eternally in God's presence. No more tears, no more pain and suffering, things that people went through in this world. That's not what eternity with God is going to look like. And I get it. There's a lot there in the book of Revelation that is very tough. What I wanted you to focus on was that last part because we'd have to unpack a lot to get into all that. But that's what eternity looks like. And that is a great transition to next week when we talk about leading others to Christ because if eternity with God is this, what does eternal separation from God look like? And that is equally as real. I had this final verse as a section, but I'm not going to read it. I'd love to, but if you guys at some point, again, I'll send this out, want to look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. It is a great expression and explanation of a key component to all these ways that Christ's love is expressed in our lives. And what it is, it's basically the reality that living for Christ is a 24-7 situation. Right? You can't go to church on Sunday and look a certain way, and then the rest of the week you look another way. You can't go to church on Sunday and talk about all these godly principles and things and act like you live them out, and then the rest of the week you don't. Right? Being a Christian, living for Christ, it's all God all the time. Literally. He permeates every aspect of your life. When you look at this verse, this passage in Colossians, that's what it talks about. It's the way you think. It's the way you act. It's everything that you do. We've talked about how God wants all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul. All of us, not part of us. Living for Christ means your entirety, your motivation for living is God, His will, His plans, and purposes. That's why I mentioned that the vision for this church, it's daunting. 
it is impossible without God. And it should be an impossible vision because it doesn't rely on God if we can do it. And just think about it. If the components that will help us to be part of that transformation of the Bay Area and beyond is learning about Christ, living for him, and leading others to him, just think about what we just read. If one of those L's is all the time Jesus, we all have some work to do. Because I'm sure, and this is going to be one of your community group questions, often our motivation for living, often our priority in life is not God. It's something else. God doesn't want it to be that way. He wants a relationship with you. But he wants to be the priority. Just like your spouse, your significant other, wants to be the, what quote, apple of your eye, so does God. So we need to take those other things out of our eyes that are getting, out of, getting in the way of God being the priority. Amen? Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to express that love through our obedience, our obedience to your commands, but our obedience to learning what your commands are. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we talk about this, people will be challenged, Lord, and convicted to like, take a look at their lives, Lord, to figure out what it is that they are prioritizing, to figure out what it is that motivates them. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we get to that place where it's you. It doesn't mean, Lord, that we don't fail, but it means that we quickly repent and we ask you to help us get back on track where you are the center of our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, as, as we walk into next week, we transition into leading others to Christ. I pray, Lord, that even now you are stirring inside of people, Lord, that desire to recommit their lives to you, but not just saying it, to truly mean it, to truly say, I want to be obedient. I want you to be my focus, God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that for those that don't know you, Lord, whether it is they have never been to church except for today, or Lord, they have been going to church for years, but Lord, they just haven't made that step of faith. I pray, Lord Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would start to burden them in incredible ways. Start surrounding them with people who talk about the gospel. Lord, speak to them and through them in so many different ways. Lord, we know that you want to see all people come to the knowledge of truth, of salvation through your Son. So I pray that you would help us. Help us to open our eyes. Help us to focus on you. Help us to live for you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.